welcome to Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From Wellington, New Zealand, I'm Dave Wood, and joining me from Devon, England, is Dave Knott. It's been quite the week so far. Um, the back suspension on the car's gone. Um, oh, so that's a thirteen hundred pound bill. And Ouch! Yeah, just a bit. Then sat in the front room last weekend. Keep in mind, we're in a two-story house. Mm-hmm. Then I heard this noise, like drip. And I was like, oh, "That's odd. Maybe it's like the dog making one of his you know, dog noises." As a drip, drip. Drip. And it's like, oh god! I look at the ceiling. I can see water dripping down through the ceiling. Um, yeah. So we've got a roof leak now as well. So that's good. <laughs> oh. And then when the laptop went, I thought, right, this is it because it comes in threes, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, oh, car, no. house, laptop. Blimey! So um, it's all uh, been fun. Do any of those things threaten your your Mac fund? They shouldn't you... do. Oh, cool. No, because the Mac the Mac fund is like its own entity if that yep. makes sense yeah yeah it um, does like the money that i got from selling the imac selling my slr selling the various other bits that's all gone into a separate bank account that is a separate pot yeah um yeah so that that's fine it does it doesn't feel right though in a way mm-hmm. um i mean like we've got savings so it's we're not in trouble but it's just going to be like a bit annoying having to dip into the savings when we've done so well the last year or so yeah while have been off on maternity leave to like not touch it but it's all good hopefully the roof won't be a massive deal we had um we sort of quite friendly with a local builder and he came around and he's like oh yeah it's it's where the uh i've told you before our house has got like those uh what are they called dormer windows yeah sort yeah. of like the little pods that stick out of the side of the roof so it's where the pod kind of meets the roof line Right. So, like, the line that sort of runs up the side of the pod, I think, is where, like, there's lead to make a seal. Yeah. So, I'm led to believe. I, I don't ask me anything about building, but that apparently was leaking. Yeah, we, we had lead seals on ours in our old Did house. You? Yeah, okay. and, and I remember our neighbours having them resealed on theirs or something. And obviously, like, the, the sides of the pods that are kind of exposed to the elements, because obviously they stick out of the roof line, um, apparently the wood was quite sort of soggy, almost like it's just given up and is now right. just taken on water. Um, so probably need to get that get that sorted out. Yeah, wow. he, he um, stuffed a load of sealant in it when he came around the other day and that stopped the leak. So that's quite yep. good. And he's going to come back soonish and, uh, yeah, try and sort that out for us. Oh, well, with any luck, it will dry out a bit over the next few days because I was reading about a heat wave. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, That's news to me. Let me check. Meg- Hang on. <laughs> mega temperatures on their way. Let me check. Although if it's accompanied by thunderstorms, then maybe not. Oh, okay. So Monday, 20 degrees with a cloud. Tuesday, mm-hmm. 22 with a cloud and a sun. That's progress. Wednesday, ironically, 24 with rain. <laughs> so that yeah. could well be a storm. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, blimey. Thursday, 28. Friday, yeah. 29. Yeah. Yeah, good. I mean, I mean, I don't really like the sun. I <laughs> like pe- people cheer when the sun comes out. I'm like, oh damn it! Like it kind of makes just basically. I find it makes life more uncomfortable when it gets much above twenty. Um, <laughs> I'm one of those kind oh. of like sit in the shade kind of guys when it's sunny. Um, but that's fine. Everyone else likes it, so that's good. Um, yeah, yeah, that's good. That will dry the roof out. I like that. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> I'm just looking in the thunderstorm mornings. 
um, although they're not over your area. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah <laughs> the, the, the yellow warning, as it were, is over the other half of the country. Oh, good. Yeah, they, they, they can keep the storms. We don't need the storms right now of a leaky roof. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like even though the money is kind of like separated for the MacBook, it just feels, I don't know, it's just not a good look, is it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> to- timing's off. Optics are bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I know, I know everyone will be like, well, it's your money. You, do, you know, because the, the way we work things is we've got like a central joint account. Yep. Where both of our wages hit that account. All the bills get paid out of that. Any surplus, we usually chuck into a separate savings account. Yep. Um, and occasionally we'll decide to write ourselves a check each. If yeah. there's a big degree of surplus, like if it's built up over a period of months. And when we write ourselves a check, the kind of rule is is that you do what the hell you want with it. Like it doesn't, it's it's yeah. There doesn't have to be a conversation about what you're going to spend that money on. Um, obviously, if it comes out of the joint account, there's usually a conversation because obviously it's a, a, a joint yeah. kind of thing. Um, and we kind of did that by design because when we first started doing this, um, Heather liked to. Uh, do various things like she would she would rather spend her money on a skydive and i'd rather spend my money on a iphone yep so two very different ways of preferring to spend your money so we thought easiest way to avoid any kind of potential conflict not that we anticipated it but just to nip it in the bud before it was even a thing was just to basically we'd write ourselves a check and then we do whatever we want with that money and there's no questions asked kind of thing so yeah, it's already accounted for so that's that yeah that's that and obviously i've yeah. sold my own stuff as well to part fund the the macbook so yeah it's technically it's it's fine <laughs> but it just like it doesn't feel I, I feel uncomfortable about it i almost feel like i, I want to get through this i want to get the roof sorted see what yep. we're in for with that because if the water's gone into the timber frame we might need to start replacing parts of the timber frame which should it, yeah, it's not a massive job it's just like stud work essentially I, I've, yeah I've had a look at how they're constructed by sort of crawling in the roof space and they are essentially just like garden sheds that stick out of the roof. There's the, the, they're probably terrible, like thermal properties. I mean, goodness knows what we're losing in energy bills and stuff because of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess they were kind of built late 60s, early 70s when it wasn't the consideration as much, perhaps. Yeah, and, and this is why, um, again, thinking back, my neighbours had cladding and stuff like that on the go. Um, one one of them had um, like sort of extra like fake bricks over the top of the the bit that stuck out. So if you imagine like it's flat under the window, yep. Um, and then the side of the bit sticking out as it sort of goes into the side of the the main roof, like the cheeks of the pod. Yeah, that that yeah. was sort of covered with this extra layer that was sort of these um, like say fake brick type stuff. It must be tiles essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I remember that was that was their cladding um and I think that was specifically to keep the house warmer. Yeah, I think ours is just literally sort of tongue and groove sort of wood paneling. Yeah. Um underneath that is felt and then you're straight onto the the wooden frame which is then stuffed with insulation in between the joists. And yeah. then you've obviously got the interior plasterboard layer which is then painted and that's that's it. <laughs> they they're very very primitive structures when you think about it but that's sounding very very familiar. It sounds I think you've got the same build going on there. Yes yeah. as, as we had, yeah. But yeah, I just wanna to, wanna to get through this and then see where we are, then I won't feel so awful. It's it's silly because the same amount of money is gonna leave our joint account and my account 
over time, irrespective of this, but it just feels uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, to be sort of having this expenditure coming out from the joint account and then I come home from work with a MacBook Pro under my arm, sort of skipping along like everything's <laughs> fine. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, press yeah maybe not. Let's, let's just wait a second. Well, you know, not, not to keep on about it, but I've been thinking that actually I'm unlikely to be able to get any serious sort of dev time this side of September anyway. Yeah. Um, until my circumstances change which sort of september is going to be the the tipping point with that and at that point it's like well it's only a month and then we're into the october event hopefully yeah hopefully probably (laughs) yeah (laughs) probably hopefully um so yeah yeah i think um i'll I'll sit tight for the minute i think unless i get a blinding deal on the eight core i9 that you know if the stars align then that might force my hand but at that point, I'd be like, you know what? I've had a blinding deal. I've got a really nice machine, and I can live with it not being a liquid retina LCD. Essentially, yeah. is what it yeah. boils down to, isn't it? Probably, um, yeah. Um, and an edge to edge or whatever as well. Um, well, they say edge to edge. It still probably have quite a fat bezel if it's yeah. going to have any form of webcam in it. Edge to a bit of an edge, <laughs> sort of like iPad Pro style. I'm imagining, yeah. to be quite honest with you. I think so. Just, I thought, just kind of yeah. curves into the corners a bit. People keep saying, "Oh, you know, they they need to bring out this 16-inch and lose the touch bar." It's like, do they? Do they really? I can't see them doing that. I can't see them doing it. I can see them improving it. I can see them doing a 16-inch with a touch bar with a different type of keyboard, for example. Yeah, the thing I keep coming back to is because at the minute, doesn't the touch bar? And again, I, I don't own one, so you might have to correct me on this. Um, the right-hand side of the touch bar, you've got the Touch ID button, yeah, which also doubles as the power button. Yep. And then on the left-hand side, you've kind of got a similarly sized area that's just dead space. Uh, so the escape key is inset from the left I edge of the touch bar? I think it's that far inset, no. Um, it is a little bit, but I, I can't... It's how much I really use the touch bar, hey? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd have to look at it, um, which I cannot do. As that machine lives in the office when, when I come back home these days. Fair enough. But what I, I think what I would like to see is almost imagine the Touch ID slash power button have another one of those on the left, but wider, so it's similar to the width of like an Escape key on a MacBook Escape. Yeah. Um, make that a button with its own tiny little OLED screen within it, so it can be just an Escape key. Yeah. Obviously, the OLED showing the word or the word ESC for Escape. Yep. Um, but that also means it could potentially double as a another button of some sort, you know, yeah. dynamically if it needed to. I can't see that many apps would ever take advantage of it. But So most of the time it would just be an escape key, but th- there's potential there then, isn't there, that it could be something other than the escape key, but it also is kind of like the a fallback in that it is always just the escape key by default unless told otherwise. That could be quite cool. Then um, you've got your physical escape key, that is always there feels like a proper escape key button you know, yeah fun- functions like a button and that you can press it down you still got the touch bar in the middle and then you've got a touch id on the right slash power button i think that could be a nice improvement to it yeah it could alongside a fixed keyboard with an inverted t arrow thing going on <laughs> <laughs> that that'd be a, that'd be a nice solution i think yeah yeah it really would other than that I, I don't know what I want from this 16-inch MacBook. I mean, yeah, obviously the screen would be nice. 
Yeah. Face ID would be nice. Um, I sort of feel like Face ID should come to the Mac. Whether or not we see it anytime soon, I think, is is to be debated, really. So I, I could see it coming to a, to an updated MacBook Pro and then kind of slowly making its way into other machines like the iMac and that side of stuff. That that might be something that happens. Yeah, well, like I say, I'm not sure whether we'll get it this this year or not really depends on what they plan on doing to the keyboard i have to wonder like if, if they did face id does that kind of let them rethink a, a couple of things with the touch bar and that end of stuff as well you know because you wouldn't necessarily want to ship touch id and face id so there's an opportunity there to do something else i guess um but yeah because if face id is in play you don't need the touch id on the power button then yep. you can start to wonder, do you need a power button if it's kind of baked into the hinge? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, so, sure, I'm sure Like, if you really do need a power button, you can do like a keyboard shortcut or something, almost like you hold the you know, home button and the sleep button on the iPhone to hard power it down or whatever. Yeah. There's a few times, actually, that I kind of wish the power button on the Mac, on the, on the MacBook Pro that I'm using in the office, I kind of wish that the power button on that was on the side and that the touch ID was exposed in some fashion or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. um, When I use it in clamshell mode, it means that if I want to use touch ID, I have to sort of like pull the lid up a little bit and push my finger underneath, and it's it's really not not cool. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, if if the power button was actually closer to an iPad so that it was always available on the side, uh, that would actually be better for when I'm using it in clamshell mode. Yeah, I hadn't considered that. Yeah, it's funny, you see a lot of power buttons now on the edges of, uh, like, the two-in-one laptops, you know, like the things that sort of do a, you know, the screen sort of opens and keeps opening, and you can almost make, like, a little triangle mm-hmm. triangle with it. Um, yeah, I remember I spent ages looking for the power button on the keyboard, and then suddenly it was like, oh, it's on the side. Of course it's it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another thing I found out this week, and I... I I can't believe I've had I've like been wrong all this time. Is you know on your like MacBook that you've got at work, you've got the screen, and then there's like a, a lighter strip where it says MacBook Pro at the right at the bottom. Yes, yeah. I thought that was plastic. Is it engraved into it? It was glass, apparently. Did you know that? No, not like I said. I thought it was engraved into it or something. So like uh, the, the strip that goes along the bottom. Yeah. Um, sort of right at the base of the screen. I always assumed it was glass from the top of the screen all the way down to this sort of strip. Yeah. And then it was like some kind of, I don't know, like matte effect plastic. But yeah, I, I had no idea it was glass. Um, hmm. Dave Mark posted on Twitter that he had, he left something sort of on, on in between his laptop screen and the keyboard and he went to shut the lid and of course crunch. Right, and yeah. And shattered the glass. And I was like, wait, what? The- on that specific part? Yeah, I was like, is that glass? Like I, I've spent ever since they've been announced thinking oh that's plastic and I've actually thought to myself I don't like that I don't like that they've put plastic on the front of the screen why didn't they do glass all the way along it's just it's a different type of glass yes it's two separate pieces of glass of glass yeah um yeah next time you go into the office just have a look like when you first open the laptop I yeah I can't believe I've been this like wrong for so long (laughs) about it (laughs) yeah I'll give that a look that's that's news to me I'm sure it was plastic on the MacBook Air as well. I'm sure like, I went, when I had a look at it, I was like, oh yeah, that's clearly plastic. And I remember sort of like touching it to see if it's plastic and or to see how the plastic felt. Wow. That's okay. so weird. 
Yeah, yeah that's, that's all. <laughs> Didn't know that. <laughs> all right, Dave. Let's talk about your app. Um, you're releasing version 1.1 of AirSynth. Um, yeah. Which is the first version you've shipped since shipping 1.0. Do you want to tell us about it? Yeah. So it's been just over a month, I think, now since I shipped version 1.0. And when I did that, it, uh, as we've spoken about before, it got a, a bit of coverage on 9to5Mac and kind of blew up a little bit over a weekend, which was totally awesome. Uh, but with that, that meant that I had a, a volume of people using the app, giving me feedback. Uh, there was also a, a kind of short list of stuff that they wished the app could do that it didn't. Uh, and so I've been kind of trying to make sure that it does as much of that as I think the app should do over the last month. So rather than necessarily sort of doing an update with, oh, here's this, this one feature, here's this other one feature, you know, and kind of doing like lots of uh, small updates. I've been sort of saving it all up into version 1.1. So that's that's been a process. I've I've had a few things to sort of get uh, get pulled together for it, um, and it's very very nearly ready. As I I kind of felt for like the last maybe seven or ten days, really, it sort of started coming together. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's very nearly ready for me to sort of pull together, start filling out the uh, the App Store Connect page and everything for for the new listing. So I want to update a few things with the. Um, but with actual description and everything else and, and sort of make sure that it's very obvious that it's got these new features. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very, very nearly on that page. I'm sort of about to do all of that. And certainly when, I, when a couple of people have got back to me who are beta testing the latest version. Interesting to see what kind of response it gets. Because obviously the first version blew up, like you said, um, in quite some fashion, didn't it? It got a lot of traction very, very yep. quickly. Um, it'd be interesting to observe what kind of happens this time. You planning to do to sort of write off to people again and say, "Hey, I've updated it." That I think thing. I think I will. Um, I, I mean, I may as well. I, whether or not they choose to cover it a second time around is, you know, totally up to them, and, and I, I'm not expecting anything. Um, but it's not going to hurt. I've put the work in to to get this version of the app together. I may as well spend that extra bit of effort and let people know that it, it exists. Yeah. Uh, Equally, I'm going to go back to some of my negative reviews and and leave an, an updated comment um, if that's possible, um, and reach out to a few people that contacted me through my support inbox and that sort of stuff to essentially cover everything, uh, just to let people know, hey, the app is now updated and it does all of this cool stuff. Yeah, it kind of feels like I, I'm, I might as well. It feels to me it would be almost like pushing your luck a little bit to expect it a second time. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Given yeah, that but- 1.0 wasn't that long ago, was it really? Um, no. Nevertheless, it's yeah. You'd be foolish not to let people know. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just, just be a bit shameless about it and just tell people. Oh, I, I think so. And, and, and to that end, I'm going to pull together a couple of resources and bits as well. So there's there's some new screenshots, a couple of new uh, videos, or something I can link to. Um, sort of like a YouTube video that shows off some of the new stuff. Yeah, because. Uh, I might as well, and I might as well make it easy for somebody who just wants to sort of put out a very quick post that's kind of copy and paste um, and, and give all of that sort of resource as well. Because some of the sites that covered the the, the app after 9to5Mac are... Uh, how do I put this politely? 
<laughs> uh, maybe I can't. Um, so what I saw with 9to5Mac is that there's a lot of sites that copy and paste their content. Um, then they translate it as well. So there's a lot of sites that are not in English that, that take 9to5Mac articles um, and pull them into their, their own languages and um, don't necessarily change the content all that much. Uh, and whilst, you know, I can have an opinion on, on that and, and whether places should be sort of writing their own content and that sort of stuff, what it did for me as a developer is it gave me a whole other audience that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So yeah. I'm kind of thinking for those for the, for those sort of sites, I, I may be stand a chance of getting covered if anybody's actually looking at their inbox. Uh, so it's worth me reaching out. It's worth me pushing, even if the bigger sites are like, yeah, no, we covered you last month. It's all right, mate. You know, because the smaller sites yeah. may may take my press release and copy and paste it. I was going to say, if you make the press release, kind of write it almost as if you're expecting it to go on one of those sites. Yeah. It then becomes very tempting, doesn't it, to a you know an editor to be like, you know what, this is a good thing because you know we always need content, right? And you can yeah. provide that to them almost out of the box. So I think yeah, you're more likely to get a result that way. Yeah, um, uh, it, it won't hurt. It, it, we're talking like you know maybe an, an evening's worth of, of extra work for me. Yeah, and and that gives it the push it needs. Like, what's your plan with this app now? Like, is it kind of just kind of going to go into like maintenance mode now, or have you got more ideas for it? Or you? Uh, so, I think I'm probably better off talking about the the features I have added, and then that lets me sort of explain where it's going to go next. I think so. Number one is that I added the ability to record what you do, and that is that that I've used um, Replay Kit actually to record audio and video in the app um so there's a big old record button on the main screen you tap that it gives you a countdown three two one um and then it's live and it's recording through through replay kit and that's great that means that when you then tap to finish you're then able to play back the audio and video of of what you've um just recorded and you can save that to the camera roll that's all part of replay kits preview view controller default behavior I get an awful lot for free so that was was nice to just add and drop that in that that got me out of having to do an awful lot of um, more involved code in terms of recording what you see on the screen uh, and there's a few different ways that I had to sort of go to make that happen uh, the the UI that you see with the um, the depth data and the particle effects uh, I moved all of that onto its own um, onto its own window so the main window of the app has the um, what what I want to record with the depth data and the particles, and then there's a secondary window that sits above that that has all the UI. So that that was the complicated bit of doing that. Um, but then after that, what that means is Replay Kit just records what I want it to record, and all of the control buttons and navigation bar buttons and things like that don't get recorded. Right. Um, so that, that's kind of cool. That that's in. It's a good recording feature, um, leveraging Replay Kit. So, in job done. Uh, and then otherwise, what I've done is I've added the ability to change the theming of the app, uh, so you can change the colours that are in play. Um, and I built the app with that in mind from the start. So I, I use a sort of central um, like theme object, and that has a concept of a background colour and a highlight colour. 
And so essentially I've, I've built a mechanism to then change what that, that background color and that highlight color is and have the rest of the app update itself in response to that. Uh, so, so that lets users personalize things a bit. Um, and then otherwise I've added the ability to calibrate the, uh, the octave range that you're playing with. So if you imagine the app, um, as you control it, you can move the pitch from, uh, um, oh, yeah. sort of like say, uh, essentially what I've done is I've pinned it between, um, the first note of each, each octave. It's got a top octave and a low and a bo- bottom octave. So it's kind um, of like moving up and down on a piano. Yeah. Sort of going yeah. near the, the left side where it'll be lower and going to the right side where it sounds higher. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and, and what gotcha. I've done is is the user can now set what that lowest note is and what the highest note is. Oh, cool. Uh, not that I expect anybody to really, really want that, but I'm trying to sort of think about how um, how I can get into setting this, this up so it's a bit better in terms of, of the control that you have over the input. So the first couple of features are sort of the you know, big bells and whistles, the things that let people see something obviously different to what they had before and to give something back that people had asked for. Uh, the recording feature was sort of number one. Mm-hmm. And um, this this next feature in terms of calibration actually sets me up for where the app is going next. Uh, so beyond this version of the app, I think version 1.2, 1.3, I'll be focusing on getting the control itself a little bit more fine-grained. Uh, so at the moment, the... So as you move the hand over the, the top of the phone, over the Face ID camera, that controls the synthesizer. Um, essentially what happens is the camera itself, because of where it is at the top of the phone, it, it's not ide- exactly over the, over the top. As you move your hand over and above what you see on the screen, it's actually kind of got a bit of a, a cone effect. Your hand has to move out at a slight angle from from that position on the screen rather than directly over the top. So I'm wondering about the idea of essentially warping the, the image from the, the camera um, and then using that warped version of the, the depth data to actually control the signal. And so by doing that, I'll adjust the, the, the position that the hand is sort of after the fact. Uh, but to get it to line up a bit more directly over what you see on the screen... Uh, so essentially then you can move your hand straight up and down over the top um, it feels like something should be possible there to sort of at least make it behave a little bit more how people expect because uh, yeah. at the moment what happens is is people have to learn how to use it and it's one of the reasons that uh, I've got a couple of guides to sort of show whether the hand is supposed to kind of be as you move it over the top you can you get a kind of feel for uh how you're supposed to move your hand. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking at making that better, and then improving a few things about how the uh, how the app records the the data sort of coming through, so that you can get more gentle movements, more nuanced kind of control over the synth. Um, and these are all things that you know they matter to me because I want to make it a better synth overall but they don't necessarily matter to people just wanting to have a play. You know, we're getting into the sort of, I actually want to play this as a proper instrument, use this in my band kind of territory, that sort of control, which people do want to do with it. Um, and it is able to be used for that today, but just not as well. 
You know, when you've got all I these suppose, other things in, it'll be better. Yeah, and I suppose this starts to then dovetail with your video mixing app. So it could almost be, I guess, an instrument in a way. Yep. Um, you know, could be some means of crafting visualization effects um, as part of the performance, maybe. Possibly. So the way I, I kind of see that working, what what I would like to do with this very shortly after I've, I've kind of got this all together with this version, I'm, I'm starting to sort of look at improving the control, is that one thing I want to do is add MIDI. And um, essentially what MIDI will give to me is the ability to send that control signal out of the app into any other MIDI-enabled app, which is usually synths and uh, visuals apps and that sort of stuff. So audio and visual performance tools quite often have the ability to be controlled by by MIDI. Okay. Uh, and then at that point, the app becomes something slightly different, you know, in terms of like it becomes this 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 control app using the hand input for, for any synth. So if you have a favorite uh, synth in something like Logic or GarageBand and you want to control that, you could use this app with the phone connected over um, MIDI can be connected over Bluetooth and there's various different hardware sort of mechanisms as well. And um, it means that the app then becomes a, a control interface for anything. And that's, yeah, that's, that's kind cool. of where I see it going next. Uh, so yeah, get the bells and whistles done now, kind of make it prettier, then start to improve the control that, that it's got. Um, and then look to sort of reaching outwards and, and turning it into something a bit more generic. Um, and that, that it potentially makes it a different app, although I'm not completely sure about that yet. Uh, yeah, and, and that, that's kind of how I see the, the sort of evolution of this going. So I'm trying to sort of build in a manner that, that kind of, it lets me keep people who've bought it happy, uh, but also breeds that sort of next level of, of, of where I'd like to take it as well. Yeah, I'm just thinking like where you stand. Like, if if this is going to be something you develop over time, I guess you would just keep it as a paid upfront app in terms of business model. For now, yeah, yeah, certainly for this app. I still need to figure out what to do with like Readlist. I feel like that's something I'm just kind of ignoring at the moment, <laughs> knowing that I'll have to face it one day. But my, it's almost like my natural instinct is it's like, well, it has to be free of an app purchase, and then I look at basically all the good features in it and think, well, I'll just put those behind a paywall. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't want to do that not really i'd like to have it so that everyone gets a decent version of the app um yeah but equally i've got to get paid because we've i've been here before where i've not been getting paid and that's no good frankly so um i've got to do something <laughs> yeah it's a tricky one uh, i sort of feel like um well i know what i want I, I would like and we've spoken about this before i would like upgrade pricing uh to sort of solve this problem you know you, you're paid up front um, and then, you know, as you add a significant chunk of features, you then ask for the ability to sort of issue a, a, an upgraded version, uh, which is on the same bundle ID and everything else. And then until people pay for the upgrade pricing, they're stuck on the, on the very last version. That, that just seems like just like so fair as well to everyone involved. As the maker of something, you put it out for sale as the customer of something. You assess whether you want to pay for it. If you do, you pay for it. If you don't, you don't pay for it. 
and you stay on what you currently have. It just seems like such an obvious thing. And I, I don't know, for the life of me, I can't figure out why Apple haven't done it. Maybe, maybe they are going to do it. And and when when you start thinking about upgrade pricing and paying up front for things, well, then, of course, that leads into real free trials. Yeah. And to me, this would just solve solve so i mean that i would instantly do that with read list that that would just be like yep that's what i want that's what i'm doing um but instead i feel like i have to sort of go on this journey around all these other sort of various business models that i have open to me none of which i like not really free of in-app purchase is fine because it means it's free so loads of people are likely to download it but then i've still got to get them over the line for in-app purchase um and then that means i have to kind of wall off some of my decent features that actually I would quite like people to be able to experience and hopefully those features sort of on their own merits will convince people to be like yeah this is a good app I'm happy to pay for it then what's your other alternative you've got subscriptions and while I like the idea of recurring revenue um, I'm not sure subscriptions really lends itself to uh, like an RSS reader not really potentially better than a, a novelty synthesize at all it is but then i don't know what what like what is that what are you subscribing to really at that point yeah yeah i guess it depends on on how you're updating the app and what you're doing with it if it's kind of like you're updating once every sort of six months or so and each time it's a a big chunk of update then you're probably heading into the upgrade model you know quite hard because you're almost on like an annual or six monthly or whatever sort of bigger update sort of cycle if you were consistently tweaking and adding and it was like every every month and there was something new or an enhancement to the things that people are are, are seeing or you had some sort of maintenance kind of side of it where i I don't know whether you're adding more things into the um the catalogs the content can be found easier or you're doing something around curation or something like that if you're doing any of those things, I can kind of see subscription working because it's sort of paying in in smaller chunks for the the regular effort. If you sort of see what I mean, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I, I, I sort of feel like with a, a subscription, the user should be seeing something on the same regularity as a subscription in terms of of extra. Um, you know, whether that is like the same thing they would have seen otherwise on sort of bigger updates and upgrades and they're just seeing bits of it quicker and sooner yeah that that depends on what the developer wants to do but but i feel like as a a user i kind of feel like if i'm on a subscription and the app is exactly the same each and every month then i'm not sure what i'm really paying for uh it's kind of odd um it's odd isn't it yeah so subscription um, sort of feels like it suits an app that's that's not not static, that's continually moving with with the same sort of velocity as the subscription, and paid up front feels more like I'm buying a tool. That tool that lets me do X. Okay, I've bought that. That's a known quantity for however long. If that if that makes sense. Yeah, and and like when version two comes out, you can assess whether those features are worth the five ninety nine the developers asking for version two. Yes, and if you don't want if you don't want it, don't don't press the upgrade button. It's it's that simple. Then if you've got a real free trial that, in my mind, is kind of driven through iTunes Connect or App Store Connect now, I think it's called. Yeah, um, you know, drop down list. I want to 
give users a free trial of, you know, one day, seven days, 14 days, 30 days, and then sort of have Apple kind of handle all of that for you. Um, so you get unrestricted access to the app for 14 days. And then at the end of 14 days, Apple throw up a box saying, hey, your trial's over. But if you want to pay, just hit this button, um, face ID, touch ID, whatever. And boom, you've paid for the app and it's now yours. That just sounds like the coolest idea ever. And <laughs> it's like, this used to be how it was years ago. Um, and now it's like we're we're doing all, the, all these almost like hacks of business models. It's like we've, mm. we've got this really good business model and now we've just got all these kind of hack versions of it. And I, I don't see how it's good for the consumer, not really. Um, which surprises me as to why we haven't gotten to a situation when we've got free trials and upgrade pricing sooner. It just it all feels very, very strange and uncomfortable to me at the moment. Yeah. And uh, equally, I, I'm not interested in having a subscription model that relies on users kind of having to forget that they've subscribed. Oh, that's horrible, isn't it? Yeah. And that feels like a, a lot of what goes on, you know? It's a sort of, okay, well ask for the subscription get that and then it just doesn't really matter what happens after that it's it's a volume kind of thing you know if you get 100 people and 90 of them you know cancel or whatever you've got 10 who forget that's that's your residual i mean i don't know i've not ran a subscription model app so i'm not sure exactly how this is working for for most people and yeah what i'm suggesting probably is different for a good indie developer versus somebody who's essentially just trying to scam as well. But it, it feels like a model that is kind of geared up towards a user forgetting that they've got the subscription in a lot of yeah. ways. Doesn't iOS 13 now do something where it reminds you that if you go to delete an app that's got an active subscription, it will jump in and tell you, which is yeah. a nice touch in that direction. But yeah, I, I still don't think the, uh, I, I still think there's more to do. On, on yeah, that front. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that that's when a user's actively sort of gone, hey, I don't want that, delete. A lot of people install stuff and forget about it. You know, they've got masses and masses of icons on, on their device of different apps that get opened like once in a blue moon. So they're, they're going to have an active subscription that they will only see if they go to manage their subscriptions or if they notice the payment. I'm not even sure I know where to go to manage my subscriptions. No. If I'm being brutal, I'm trying to think. Like I noticed, um, my subscription to Castro just renewed, which I'd forgotten all about. Um, although I'm happy to keep paying it because I like the app. And then I was thinking, if I wanted to cancel this, where do I go? And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, if I don't know, how is like how are my parents going to know? I mean, they're not going to stand yeah. a chance. Yeah, I, 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 I'm almost lost for words in, in a lot of ways. It's like <laughs> it's like the most obvious thing: a real free trial with upgrade pricing is like it would solve all of this kind of horribleness that's plagued the app store for well, for years now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just perplexed by it. I, I have a choice coming up with my, my VJ app and my video mixing app. So I plan on updating it. I keep talking about it. Um, it's going to come behind what I'm doing with AirSynth. That's, that's fine. I'm kind of waiting now until iOS 13 is out and then I'm going to go, Later on in the year, hopefully, I'll start sort of work on it in terms of, of um, laying down a new structure of the app in Swift UI and all of that end of stuff. I, I kind of want to wait until it's out of beta um, and all the resources are sort of there for me to just sort of look at tutorials and go through. It kind of feels like the better use of my time. Um, but I've got a choice. When I've got that together, eventually, do I just issue a new version? 
and everybody who's bought it before gets this version for free? Do I do something different, change the uh, the, the, the model of the app, the, the business model and everything, and go freemium or do something around that or, or with subscriptions? And I kind of don't want to. It just doesn't feel like it, it fits. Um, and without free trials and, and upgrade pricing and that end of stuff, the choice that I'm kind of coming around to is, well, perhaps I actually release a brand new bundle so if you think the original app is, is Go VJ one and then I release Go VJ two, essentially. Yeah. And I can bundle them together in the app store side by side at the same time. Uh, I can offer upgrade pricing by making the way that bundle works out that it takes some of the cost of uh, Go VJ one out of the price. You know, so then existing users effectively get um, a discount if they get version two. Uh, I could add a screen into version one and issue a very small update for that um, that that tells people version two is available uh, and and sends them off to the app store for that. Uh, And and that would essentially be a very kind of not that great, but but our version of upgrading. Um, It's not great because it sort of means that existing users don't get a seamless experience. And it means that I'm running two versions of the app side by side at the same time, at least for a little while, in order to sort of offer that upgraded pricing to people. Um, but that that would be our version of doing it, and that's something I'm kind of thinking about because this version will be a good update. You know, it's going to be definitely be a version 2.0 by the time it's done, and and it kind of feels like it warrants warrants that sort of um, approach so that I can actually charge for the the extra as it were um the bear in mind that version one of the app came out in 2015 so by the time this is done you've got four and a half five years worth of of use out of the original app and then like i say a a big load of my effort to sort of make version two it feels like i should be able to charge i would Uh, have thought so (laughs) yeah and, and it's not even about you know being completely money grabbing with it or anything like that it's just more a perspective of this is a tool it's a tool that lets people do things and if it's adding a load of significant value if there's a load more effort that's gone into making it then that that should be sort of balanced out with with payment for that uh but yeah let's say i'm loath to go freemium with it um, or do do subscription payment because i just don't think it fits very well um, I wonder, but, I wonder, like if Apple did real free trials and paid upgrades from the beginning of the App Store, would we have seen this race to the bottom? Do you think? And do you think now people would maybe not have such a low expectation of sort of app value in that people just expect apps to be free, and if they're like ninety nine p or one ninety nine, it's like whoa, that's too much money. Do you think we'd have gotten to this place? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. So. Some of the some of the dynamic is definitely Apple's responsibility, right? And then some of the rest of the dynamic is the way the market behaves, and it, you know it's the sum total of, of of how developers have approached it, how um, investment backed big startups have sort of approached it as well. Yeah, you know, so true. some some of that race to the bottom has actually come out of the behaviour of of, of 
developers and companies en masse as well. Uh, so it, it kind of feels like it's probably a, a, a game of two halves in that respect. You know, there's Apple's half and then there's the, the sort of wider market dynamic. I think we'd have seen a race to the bottom for um, for freemium as soon as in-app purchases were, were a thing um, in terms of some of the, the um, startups that are investment-backed because, you know, it's a volume deal at that point. You can get people through the door uh, and then you can look for ways to sort of nickel and dime them afterwards. So we'd still seen that, I think. But I, I do feel like maybe on the iPad, for example, we might have seen uh, more premium software that does specific jobs a little sooner um, or, or, or in a wider volume, at least. Uh, yeah. I, I'm kind of thinking of your sort of... Um, a good indie example would be probably LumaFusion. Um, it's a video editing app. I think it, it retails for uh, 20 or 30 bucks US. And right. I think they're doing quite well. Um, Apple have been advertising them actually because they, they show uh, the iPad Pro and the iPad's capabilities off quite well. Uh, I think we might have seen a few more of those actually if we'd had this from the beginning because the model would have fit those sort of apps a, a bit better. Yeah. No, I wonder if like Catalyst is going to almost be the catalyst to make, that might get get us free um you know free trials and upgrade pricing because if it means that iPad apps now go on the Mac it also means that that very same Mac app goes back to the iPad so any effort you put in one you get in both places which means as a result iPad apps may become more powerful because maybe like the appetite of Mac users demands it from their apps yep is, is that making sense? Yeah, no, it does. It does. I, I think the iPad's going to be the winner out of a lot of this, actually, for gaining yeah. more of those sort of apps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as the iPad apps maybe get more uh, comprehensive over time because they're now also on the Mac, and that could then mean that you know, those apps are actually going to be worth quite a bit of money, kind of more money than users are used to paying, um, yep. which might be the catalyst pardon the pun for um you know apple to take a view and be actually maybe we do need real free trials for these apps to be in any way viable on yeah. sort of modern app stores uh, i don't know i live in hope okay we'll call that a wrap if you've enjoyed today's show it'd be great if you could leave us a review on itunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in overcast by hitting that star button that will help us reach even more like-minded people Um, Also, we have our Slack channel. We'd love to invite you to join. Our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, uh, just leave us a message on Twitter at WFR Podcast and we'll get you signed up. So, Dave, before we run off, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DW Roboheads. That's Roboheads spelled with a Z. And you can find my apps at Roboheads.com. Again, that's Roboheads spelled with a Z. How about you, Dave? You can follow me online at davenot.co.uk or on Twitter, I'm at underscore davenot.com.